grace. Turn to Psalm 13 and hear the word of the Lord. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you are here with us this morning. Your word tells us that where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst of them, Father. So we don't have to assume. We know because your word assures it. Now, Father, as I come this morning, I pray, Father, that you will all overcome my, my stumbling, my, my mind that's slow. But, Father, I pray that you would be glorified and honored in the heart that loves you and wants to do nothing but share your word. God, strengthen me. Give your people eyes to see and ears to hear. Holy Spirit, move our hearts to learn more about who you are so that we might praise you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, listen, it is uh, my great privilege to be able to uh, stand up here or actually sit up here this morning and, uh, and preach a little bit, share God's word with you. But wow, church, I mean, isn't it incredible? What a great start to our Summer in the Psalm series. I mean, it's been awesome, hasn't it? I mean, Pastor Michael started us off with Psalm 1, uh, the blessed life. If I remember correctly, he gave us two principles, right? Some principles to chew on. The practice of the blessed life and the promise of the blessed life. He gave us some rich food regarding progression of sin, the company that we keep, and the promises for those planted beside flowing streams. You know, next, Pastor Jesse came and he took us to Psalm 125. Pastor Jesse showed us uh, those planted beside flowing streams. That was Michael. But Jesse showed us the surrounding Savior and God's stability. Pastor Jesse exhorted us to remember the Lord is our stability forever, and He knows both the wicked and the righteous. I love the fact that He led us to Revelation 21. And Jesse, if I got this wrong, I think it was Revelation 21, 3 and 4. Yeah. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Listen, church, for the former things have passed away. What a marvelous reminder of, of God, our rock and our foundation. And that brings us to today's word. And if you give me just a second, I want to get my timer going here. I want you to know that I never look at this, but I thought it would be really appropriate to, uh, to go ahead and set it just to see uh, uh, how this goes. But anyway, so that brings us to Psalm 13, and it's called a lament of David. And I don't know why it is, but it seems like I get to talk about all of the kind of the tough issues sometimes. I get the laments. <laughs> I mean, these guys are talking about some really good stuff. God being a rock and stable, right? And what do I get? A lament. But I want to tell you something. I want you to understand something. To cry is human. Do you get it? To cry is human. Can I ask you a question? Mom, if you're in here, you'll love this. Who taught you to cry? The answer, of course, is no one. Yeah, no one. Although you don't remember it, the first sound you made when you left that warm, protected home in your mother's womb was what? A loud cry. 
a bewildered, heartfelt protest. I mean, every human being has the same opening story, believe it or not. Life begins with tears. It's simply a part of what it means to be human. Listen, church, to cry is human. But lament is different. See, the practice of lament, the kind that is biblical, that's honest and redemptive, is not as natural for us. Because every lament, church, is a prayer. Every lament is a prayer, a statement of faith. I want you to get this today. Lament is an honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Do I need to say it again? Pastor said, say it again. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Listen, church, to lament is Christian. To lament is Christian. Belief in God's mercy, redemption, and sovereignty create lament. Wait a minute, Pastor. Wait, stay with me. Without hope in God's deliverance and the conviction that He is all-powerful, there would be no reason to lament when pain invades our lives. You see, I like what Todd Billings says in his book, Rejoicing in Lament. I think it helps us understand this, this foundational point. He says this, it is precisely out of trust that God is sovereign that the psalmist repeatedly brings laments and petitions to the Lord. If the psalmist had already decided the verdict that God is indeed unfaithful, they would not continue to offer their complaint. Make sense? Therefore, lament is rooted, listen to me, lament is rooted in what we believe. Is the prayer loaded with theology? Christians affirm that the world is broken, amen? We affirm that the world is messy, amen? But God is powerful, and God will be faithful. Therefore, listen, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. Pain and promise. Church, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. Now, I'm sorry, I couldn't go on without giving you a little bit of my lament this morning. As I was looking through this, it struck me, an Old Testament scholar named Klaus Westerman, some of you new guys might know him, some, some might not. He situates the Hebrew, Hebrew poetic material into two very broad categories, praise and lament. Now, Westerman asserts that as, as the two poles, they determine the nature of all speaking to God. Psalms that express worship for the good things that God has done are characterized as praise hymns. Laments are prayers of petition arising out of our need. But lament is not simply the presentation of a list of complaints, nor merely the expression of sadness over difficult circumstances. Lament in the Bible is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering and engages God in the context of pain and trouble. Now, what we don't hear a lot in our worship in the Baptist churches, I've noticed, is this idea of liturgy. And I love the fact that Michael and the, and the leaders of the church are bringing this to the fore again. Now, I'm going to give you just a, just a brief thought on this, this idea of liturgy. Definition. It's a pattern for worship used, whether recommended or prescribed, by a Christian congregation or denomination on a regular basis. The term liturgy comes from the Greek word meaning public work. Kind of simple. But we don't talk about it much. Now, I don't know how many of you here have a vast religious experience. I do. In my family, we had Eastern Orthodoxy on my father's side, Russian Orthodoxy on my grandmother's side, Roman Catholicism on my grandmother's side, and somehow the Methodists got in there. So, as I said before, I was a religious schizophrenic. I mean, we had all of these things going on. But one thing I noticed about the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church was liturgy. One thing I noticed about the Baptist Church is lack of liturgy. Not all, but a great deal. <clears throat> Unfortunately, what, what's missing, lament is often missing in the narrative of the American church. 
In Journey Through the Psalms, Denise Hopkins examines the use of lament in the major liturgical denominations in America. I mentioned some of them a minute ago. But the study found that in the Lutheran Book of Worship and the Episcopalian Book of Common Prayer, the Catholic Lectionary for Mass, the Hymnal of the United Church of Christ, the United Methodist Hymnal, the majority of the Psalms omitted, listen church, from liturgical use are what? The laments. The laments. And this trend is not only found in the mainline denominations, but also the less liturgical traditions as well, like us. In Hurting with God, Glenn Pemberton notes that lament constitutes, church, this blew me away, 43% of all psalms. How many psalms are there? 150. 43% of 150 of the psalms are songs of lament. But only 13% of the hymnal of the Church of Christ, 19% of the Presbyterian hymnal, and 13% of our hymnal include songs of lament. Interesting, isn't it? Why? You know, even, even CCLI, you know, that's the group that licensed local churches to use music. In its list of the top 100 worship songs, and I had to go back for this. I'm sorry I don't have modern times, but this one I already had some information on. August 2019. It's a little bit back, right? It reveals that only five of the songs would qualify as a lament in the top 100. You say, Joe, what's... But think about how great is our God. Here I am to worship. Happy day, indescribable friend of God. Oh, glorious day, marvelous life, victory in Jesus. We want to celebrate, but we don't want to lament. So what, what does biblical lament look like, church? You say, well, you're going to get to the text. Yeah, I am. <laughs> but let's, let's start with a, a definition, okay? I like what Mark Brogop says in his book, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy. Listen to this definition. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with that paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Church, lament is more than just an expression of sorrow or the venting of emotion. Lament talks to God about the pain and listen, I'm trying to be super sensitive this morning, and I've noticed a lot of our folks are missing. But one thing I've seen being with New Breed all this time is that we've got some, a lot of pain that has gone on in our church. And listen, this message could, could stir up some, some muddy waters. And I want to be sensitive to that, but I want you to know something. Lament leads to healing. Biblical lament leads to healing. And so I'm going to try to be sensitive, but I also want you to realize I know what's going on too. But the other part of this idea is that lament has a unique purpose, church. Trust. Trust. It's a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, our frustrations, and our sorrows for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God. It gives a lament a little different picture, doesn't it? You may think that lament is the opposite of praise. I suggest to you that it isn't. Instead, lament is a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. The space between brokenness and God's mercy is where this song is sung. It's the transition between pain and promise. The path from heartbreak to hope. Lament invites us to turn our gaze from the rubble of life to the redeemer of every hurt. It calls us to turn toward promise while still in pain. You could say that lament is how we learn to live between the poles of hard life and God's goodness. And I'm going to tell you something, church. I love you all, but you're young. I'm not the oldest cat in the world, but I've been around for 71 years, and let me tell you something. 
you're going to experience more pain. Because we, we live in a fallen world. I'm just going to be real. And if you haven't so far, praise God. Be prepared. This lament calls us to turn toward promise while still in pain. You, you could say that choosing to cling to a belief that God's goodness is essential to the process of lament. That's, that means knowing something about God, doesn't it? And, and it's that great dare at the heart of believing in God, church. Belief in God's mercy and redemption and sovereignty create lament. See, without hope in God's deliverance and the, and the conviction that he is all-powerful, there'd be no reason to lament when pain invades our, invades our lives. Billings in Rejoicing and Lament says this, it is precisely out of trust that God is sovereign that the psalmist repeatedly brings lament and petitions to the Lord. See, if the psalmist had already decided the verdict that God indeed is unfaithful, logic with me here, he would not continue to offer the complaint. Make sense? Therefore, church, I suggest that lament is rooted in what we believe. It's a prayer loaded with theology. Again, lament stands between pain and promise. And I got to tell you something, church, as I was looking through this this week, you realize that lamenting is a common theme in the Bible, right? I mean, it is all over the place. Do you remember that story in Luke? You got the mourners and the weepers and the young girl is dead and everybody is mourning and everybody is weeping and our Lord steps into the middle of it. What did he say? Hey, do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping. Grief, I think, is, is a common human experience. And you know what's so cool about Jesus? Jesus enters into that grief with us while he was on the earth. You got to remember that, church. He walked into that grief with us when he walked the earth. It's an incredible thing to think about. Think about Lazarus, Martha and Mary. You remember that story? Man, he's dead. He's in the grave. Martha and Mary are weeping. They're lamenting. They're crying. The crowd with them is weeping. They're crying. Matter of fact, every time Martha and Mary went somewhere, the crowd went with them. And they were crying and they were weeping. And the incredible thing was Jesus shows up, right? Now, here's the thing that grabs me, church. Jesus shows up. He knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to open that tomb and Lazarus is going to walk out. And he's going to say, hey, folks, you are going to unwrap him. Get him out. He knows. But you know what he does? He cries. He cries. He laments. I don't know about you, but that tells me something about his theology. I don't know. I don't want to keep rumbling on this, but this was just so impressive to me. Remember King Jehoshaphat? King Jehoshaphat? He had a kind of lamentation too. You remember when all the armies rose up against Israel in Second Chronicles? They're all out there. And old Jehoshaphat, he calls Israel together and he leads them what? In a national lament, a national cry to God. Here's what he says. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us, Lord. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Second Chronicles 20.12. See, Jehoshaphat put words to his heart's lament, and he directed them toward the only one who could help. The Lord honored the lament and defeated their enemies in verse 22. I know 2 Corinthians is one of my favorites. 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Hmm. You see, repentance is agreeing with God about how bad our sin is and purposing to turn away from it. 
when we see our sin the way God does, we lament over it, church. I struggle sometimes with the modern day church because I don't think we lament enough over our sin. You say, no, no, it's grace and mercy. Yeah, it is. But, you know, we grieve at the evil arising in our own hearts and we cry out to God to change us. Can I ask you a question, church? How does one repent of something they have never grieved over? Those who, have nev- who, who never lament over their sins have not understood its power to, to destroy them and nor can they fully appreciate a Savior. But you know the thing I think that grabbed me the most church was an unexpected twist. The Bible records that, that God also laments over sin. Did you know that? And disobedience of his people. In Ezekiel, he says this, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? He laments the destruction of a perfect world and the ongoing rebellion that keeps it in bondage to the enemy in the book of of, uh, Jeremiah. You see the sorrow Jeremiah 12, 10, 11, he says, Many shepherds will ruin my vineyard and trample down my field. They will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. It will be made of wasteland parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one who cares. And then church, there's Genesis 6, 6. Records that the Lord was sorry He lamented that he made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. See, the idea in this verse is that God lamented what at its prized creation, at what had become. And see, God's lamentation shows us that he has deep feelings of sorrow and even evil reigns unchecked. And so I know that's a heck of a long introduction, but I just want us to draw a couple of things from this this morning, okay? And we're going we're gonna to look through it. But there's two main big ideas I want us to draw. The first one is pain in life is very real and it can last a very long time. Now, praise the Lord, John. That's good to know. I didn't get many amens on that one. I've noticed I've not got many people talking to me at this time. And the second thing is even better than the first. Pain in life will always drive us to something. I think once we understand these two points, it causes us to see pain in a different way. Um, And I got to admit to you, church, plumbing the depths of lament, it's a deep well. And I'm sorry, you're just not going to get through it in 30 to 45 minutes, but I'm going to do the best that I can. Maybe the Holy Spirit will use this time to awaken us to the truth of lament. So I read that text to you before, so I'm not going to read it to you again, but I'm going to jump in for the remainder of our time. And I want to show you a a pattern of biblical lament as seen in the Psalms. So in the Bible, a Psalm of lament typically contains these elements in, in in a form. What I hate to do with God's word, church, is turn it into steps. Okay? And so I'm not calling these steps, but I encourage you to go back and look at the psalm. I told you there were 60 psalms, and go back and look at lament in the Bible and see if you see uh, uh, this form or these elements. And and they break down into four things. And I'm sorry, guys, you're not going to be able to pull these things up. But the first thing is, is that we direct, and some are not going to like this, but we direct our complaint to God. And the second thing is that you describe the suffering. The third thing is we depend on God to come to the aid of his people. And the last form is we dwell on, the, on God's faithfulness and goodness. You got it? Direct your complaint to God. Describe your suffering. Depend on God to come to the aid of his people. Dwells on God's faithfulness. Real quick, let's run back and look at verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted? Have I ever been there? Am I the only one that's ever cried out how long? Yeah? Okay. (laughs) 
Okay, good. But I want you to look at the underlying words there. Look what he's focusing on. Will you what? Forget me. How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? And then he goes on to the fact that his enemy is going to exalt over him. Where is he right now? What space is he in? Now, remember who this is. This is David. This is the dude that walked out and faced a nine-foot dude with a 50-pound spear with a rock and a slingshot. Well, it was a sling. And said, how dare you defy the people of the living God? And from that moment on, David had a bullseye on his back. I don't know if you realize that or not. From that moment on, they were after David. Philistines wanted him. He won the battle. But David struggled. David struggled. Saul ran after David like a madman. <laughs> Forget, sorry, that, that did fit in though. He ran after him like a madman. He chased him down. He chased him in the cave. David lived in cave. David had to, had to, to, to put on a show of, of being crazy in front of a group of, of, of invaders. I mean, this is David. But David also knew that God was faithful. David also knew that God covered him. David also knew that God called him. David also knew that God would win the battle. This is who we're talking about here. But yet, listen to his lament. You've forgotten me. You hide your face from me. I take counsel in my soul. They, he directs his complaint to God. Confusion, exhaustion, disappointment. Listen, that can cause us to retreat from someone who knows our sorrows. See, that, that poisonous mist of bitterness or, or anger can sweep in, creating a fog of unbelief or a, a justification for our ungodly behavior. L lament talks to God. Listen, lament talks to God even if it's messy. This requires faith, church. And I'm going to be honest with you, silence is easier, but unhealthy. Lament praise through hardship. If you don't believe me, consider the gut level honesty in Psalm 13. You see it, don't you? David's struggle is both internal and external. When David begins to think that God is not there, he turns to himself. Ever done that? <laughs> And realizes there isn't much there to encourage him. I don't know about you, but I've been there. And why is that? Why is that? Because David, like you and I, come face to face with the wickedness and trouble in our own hearts. God's word tells us that the heart's wicked. God's word tells us who can trust it. Jeremiah 17, 9. Listen, don't trust your heart, church. I'm telling you. Why? Because God's word said the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Why would I turn to myself? And that's what David realizes. I've been there, right? Going through troubles or loss, you name it, we look for peace. And then there's this, this inward struggle. We try to forget it to, or ignore what's going on. But pain and suffering bring with it, church, I suggest a photographic memory. You ever notice that with pain? I don't have a photographic memory for anything else, but I do with pain. Listen, all it takes is a word or a specific place to trigger my emotions. And that place that I thought I'd moved from or forgotten, I'm right there and again. Is it just me? And, and I want to suggest to us, too, that, that pain has a center of gravity, too. Have you ever noticed that a, a new instance of pain suddenly calls up all those past hurts? Related or not? Related or not? And, and listen, some of us try to numb that pain through specific pleasures, only to realize, like Pastor Michael said, it overpromises and underdelivers. Even though hope feels distant and God seems far away, the psalmist reaches out to God, so, was, so must we. 
Laments invite us to do the same, to keep crying out in prayer through the ups and downs of hardship. We've got to learn the practice of pushing our hearts toward God in our pain. That makes sense? See, lament teaches us not to give in to our emotions, but to direct our emotions by prayerfully vocalizing our hurt, our questions, and listen, church, yes, even our doubt. Turning in prayer through lament is one of the deepest and most costly demonstrations of belief in God. I give testimony to that. Anyone can cry, but it takes faith to turn to God in lament. I like what James Montgomery said, Montgomery Boyce, on the spiritual value of praying through our spiritual questions. Listen to this, a beautiful quote. It's better to ask them than not to ask them. Before asking them, because asking them sharpens the issue and pushes us toward the right positive response. Silence can be a soul killer. But encouraging and inclining our hearts in faith to turn to God is a soul sustainer. The next thing is that the author describes their suffering. He, he, you know, that whole section in there is so powerful because you got that longing, that taking counsel in the soul and, and, and the, the enemy have exalting over all of these excuses that he comes up to. But basically, when you, tur- when you choose to turn to God in faith, what follows must be your honesty with God. I got to tell you something, church. It's so funny how we think that we can hide in the corner. I don't know about you, but when my boys did something, I always knew it. Maybe you do too. You know, one of them loved, loved to go hide in the corner. Another one would go to a far part of his room and have to go looking for him. We do the same thing. Do you really believe that an omniscient God doesn't already know where you are? You're not talking to a God who doesn't know. You're not telling God anything about you that he doesn't already know. He knows it. And he wants you to know that he knows it. Because it changes the way you offer your petition. God doesn't want us to masquerade. He doesn't want us to show, uh, to to do a false show. He doesn't want us to put on our best face. He doesn't want us to to, uh, give us a pretense of prayer. He wants us to approach God and clearly say what's on our hearts. God gives us permission. Church, I got to tell you how hard that was for me to learn. Because I never saw that growing up. I stuffed stuff. I held on to stuff. I didn't know it was okay to complain, to moan, to lament. And it wasn't until I became a believer and I went through one of those moments in my life where all I had was God to realize that God knew. Listen, church, I can't tell you how many funerals I've done. Working in a homeless shelter, I've done more funerals than most pastors will do in a ministry. But the ones that hurt most is my mother and my father and my brother. The last one was my brother, but the one before that was my father. And see, the problem with that was that I was mad because I didn't get to see my father before he died and try to make things right. And I did the funeral. And do you know that two, year, two years later, because I didn't grieve and I didn't lament and I stuffed it, I went into a deep depression. My wife will tell you, she's over there nodding. Listen, church, it never got me to the point of death, but she'll tell you, I wept every day. And it wasn't until our church stepped in and said, you need counseling. (laughs) And guess what? We're going to pay for it. We'll send you. You know where they sent me? They sent me to a biblical counselor, but before that, they sent me to a Christian counselor. There's a difference, believe it or not. See, a Christian counselor is a Christian who practices counseling. 
A nuthetic counselor is a biblical counselor who takes principles from the Word of God. The first counselor I went to kept trying to take me back in my pain. All right, let's go back further. Let's go back further. Let's go back further. And little attest to this. Every time I came back from a session, I was darker and darker and darker. And my eyes would not stop leaking. It wasn't until God directed me to his word and a counselor who gave me prescriptive counseling from the word of God on the ability to lament and grieve and to cry out to God and not be worried about it. That healing began in my life. You see, many people fall into one of two camps when walking through suffering, anger or denial. Amen? Some people are so filled with anger at God that they live in a self-made prison of bitterness, despair, and difficulty for the rest of their lives. I knew a woman once who had so much to live for. But listen to this, church. She was bitter. Do you know why she was bitter? Because her husband died. She was bitter at her husband because he died. And that bitterness turned to anger against God. This woman was heading to see her grandchildren that she hadn't seen. And all she could think about was being bitter because her husband had died and left her like he wanted to. And it was incredible because the individual with her said, can I ask you one thing? Can you tell me one good thing that's happened to you? And nothing came. She was so deep in that despair and in that grief. And then the suggestion came up that, how many grandchildren do you have? Interesting, wasn't it? That same pain gave rise to rage, and their spiritual life was never the same. This particular woman was that way, died without knowing. You know, and sometimes it even results, pastor, in rejection of Christianity, as pain paves the way to unbelief. Some would argue that they never knew in the first place, but it's still difficult, isn't it? Still, others seem to think that godliness means a, a new form of stoicism. What, what they do is you try to project an air of contentment that feels like denial. Everything is fine, they say. You ever met somebody like that? But you know it isn't. You know, I've seen people in pain. It seems someone either needs to coax them off the cliff of their anger or out of the cave of hiding their honest struggles. Where are you this morning, church? What are you struggling with this morning? See, biblical lament offers an, an alternative. Through godly complaints, we're able to express our disappointment and move toward resolution. We complain on the basis of our belief in who God is and what he can do. Church lament is how those who know what God is like and believe in him address their pain. God is good. Listen to me. God is good, but life is hard. Lament is a language of people who believe in God's sovereignty but live in a world with tragedy. This is the part of the grace of lament. It's part of the beauty in having a God like the God we have. He, he doesn't say, come when you have it all together. We heard that last week. He says, come when your life is falling apart. I, I, my mind runs to those stories. It's why he runs to embrace the prodigal son. It's why he reaches out to touch the leper. It's why he chooses to dine with tax collectors and sinners and those who walk into our church and take the coffee and, and, the, and the sugar and the water and pour it into the cups and stand there and then walk out. It's why he welcomes the thief on the cross into paradise. It's why it chooses to restore Peter after he denied Jesus three times. Listen, church, he welcomes your pain into his presence. Man, that was a hard lesson for me to learn, but once I grabbed a hold of the church. See, you got to understand here, what we have is a loving permission and graceful invitation to bring our frustrations with honesty and our questions with humility.
to a God that knows. John, that's, that's, no, it's not. That's truth. There's something helpful and right about regularly, regularly laying out the specifics of your pain. Psalm 55, 2 says, attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. And in verse 17, it says, listen to this church, evening and morning and noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. God hears your voice. Don't let the deceiver whisper in your ear, your God is not present, your God does not hear, your God does not care. He is the deceiver. Our God cares, our God knows, our God is present. Honestly, praying this way recognizes that pain and suffering often create difficult emotions. Listen to me, church, that are not based upon truth but feel true. Did you catch the distinction? It's good to come before God with the real pain of our souls, unresolved and unfiltered as they are. Listen, your, your honest complaints may sound like this. Why did you take my baby? God, why did you take my spouse so early in life? God, why did I have to be laid off from my job? God, why did you take my, why don't you take this pain away from me that I suffer with day in and day out? God, why did that relationship have to end that way? God, why am I stuck doing this during this season of my life that I had other plans for? Amen, Lynn. God, why does my kid have to suffer this way? What we learn is that the psalmist turns his powerless position into a platform to call out to God. See, this, this blunt complaint is an opportunity to redirect his heart. Rather than allowing his painful circumstances to rule him, creating bitterness and despair, he lays out his angst. Man, I wish I would have known that earlier in my walk. This specificity, listen, sharpens your prayer. The frustrations expressed and lament push him further toward God, not away. This is an essential blessing of lament, church. Lament turns us toward God when sorrows alone tempt us to run from him. While you shouldn't skip the practice of complaint, you shouldn't get stuck there either. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, complaint was never meant to be an end in itself. In the same way that a surgeon's cut is meant to heal, so complaint is designed to move us along in our lament. You are not meant to linger indefinitely, church, in complaint. If you never move beyond complaint, lament loses its purpose and it loses its power. Do you hear me? We bring our complaints to the Lord for the purpose of moving us toward Him. We allow the honest opening of our souls to become a doorway to the other elements, which I'm going to get to right now. So that second principle of lament candidly talks to God about what's wrong. Biblical complaint vocalizes circumstances that do not seem to fit with God's character or His purposes. But listen to me, church. Biblical complaint is not venting your sinful anger toward God. You hear me? It's different. It's merely telling God about your struggles. And the more honest we can be, the sooner we'll be able to move toward the next element. Now, listen, I, I, I'm running, running a little bit long here. I'm at uh, 40 minutes. Just give me a couple more minutes, church. I just want to make a, a note here, and this is to the church community. You know, there's some passages in the New Testament, right, that talk about when one has joy, we all have joy. When one has sorrow, we all have sorrow. Yeah? Listen, I want to encourage us, new breed. I, I love what the pastors are doing, and they're talking about liturgy and about changing how we worship and the structure of our worship and the meaning of that worship. But I want to encourage you, church, because here's a struggle that we all have. How well do you know me? 
Michael Barg, I'm not going to say that to you. Niall and I have, some, had, have had some contact with each other, and we know some things about each other. Miss Lynn, you know, how well do you know Chris? Pastor Mike, how well do you know Shannon? The point I'm talking about in lament is, church, we have to lament together. Because not only do we have individual lament in the Bible, but we have national corporate lament in the Bible. And lament draws us closer to God and closer to each other. What the deceiver does, church, is the deceiver says to you, it ain't none of their business. They don't need to know what's going on in my life. It's my business. It's not your business. And the deceiver sits back and he laughs because he puts these, these wedges into the body of Christ where the Bible tells us that it's stone built upon stone on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he keeps us from sharing life with each other. We only share what we want people to know. We only share that shows us in a good light. We only share things that make us look religious or spiritual. But we never share lament the way it's meant to share. I need you. I need you in my lament. Yes, I need God. Overarching, but God gave me you too. And we need each other, church. And I want to call you in this idea of lament. The church is first and foremost to take our place humbly among the mourners. And we're to grieve. And that grief, after all, is part of love. I don't know how love got so convoluted. Not to grieve, not to lament, is to slam the door on the same place, church, in the innermost heart from which love itself comes. Last thing, church, pain in life will always drive us to something. What does it drive you to? Consider me and answer me, O Lord. He uses Yahweh there, O Lord, and God, Elohim. Light up my eyes, he says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy, singular, says I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes, plural. So he's worried about the enemy. You know, some, some commentators say it's Saul. I think it's the devil. <laughs> I think it's Satan. I really do. Is Saul part of that? Yeah, I think Satan is definitely using Saul to chase after David. But I want you to see that. But the cool thing is, and I want to thank my sister Candace for this. She looked at this morning. I thought it was a marvelous insight. You see that word light up my eyes or some translations say enlighten. The Hebrew word translated enlighten light here is the same word church used in Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Listen, new breed, sometimes God uses tears to clear the eyes so that his light can be seen. Lament affirms the applicability of God's promises by asking again and again for divine help. Repeated requests become hopeful reminders of what God can do. Asking boldly serves to strengthen our resolve to not give up. But it also encourages us to embrace the destination of all lament. And do you know what that destination is? Trusting praise. Hey, there's some bold askers in the Bible. Moses was a bold asker. You remember? Job was a bold asker. Man, he got right up in God's face, didn't he? Nehemiah was a bold asker. Build a temple wall, what, 52 days? Jeremiah was a bold asker. Church, 40 years the man preached and never saw a convert. Why? Because he was a poor preacher? No, because God said at the beginning, ain't nobody going to listen to you because I'm going I'm to shut their ears. But you go ahead and preach anyway. Paul was a bold asker. Jesus was a bold asker. Are you a bold asker?
But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Look at those words I highlighted there. I have trusted past in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice present. Present perfect shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing present future in the Lord. Why? Because he's dealt bountifully with me. Church, the idea here is I have trusted in the mercy of God. I will trust in the mercy of God. I will trust forever in the mercy of God. That's what he's saying. He comes through all of this honest lament and he gets to the end of it and God opens his eyes. The tears have washed away the pain and he says, I have trusted, I will trust, and I'll trust you forever. Confidence in God's trustworthy is the destination of all lamenting. Turning, complaining, and asking lead there. Laments help us through suffering by directing our hearts to make the choice. Listen, church, sometimes daily to trust God's purposes hidden behind the pain. In this way, a lament is one of the most theologically informed practices in our Christian life. Lament leads us through our sorrows so that we can trust God and praise Him. And this is how Psalm 13 concludes. But I want you to notice the pivot word there. I love it. But. The pivot word. But. What do you mean pivot word, John? Look at, look at where it is. But. I have trusted in your steadfast love. He's still in the pain, but he's trusting in God's steadfast love. The pain didn't leave, but he's trusting in God's steadfast love. Man. My spirit inside me yells, grow up, <laughs> grow up, there's more. Oh, I love it. I will sing unto the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Church, I want you to catch that at the end too. That word which is rendered there, dealt bountifully, it's gamal. It means, I'll give you the definition properly, to deal with anyone, to treat anyone well or ill, and then to requite or recompense. That's when it's used absolutely, right? As it is here, it's commonly employed in a good sense, meaning, listen to this, to deal favorably or kindly toward anyone, to treat anyone with favor. What he's saying is that God has shown him kindness and favor and has laid a foundation for his gratitude and his praise. You get it? The psalm closes, therefore, with expressions of joy. As we wait upon God, new views of his character and his mercy and his love break into our mind. The clouds open, light beams on us, our souls take hold of the promises of God. And we who went to his throne sad and despondent rise in our devotions filled with praise and joy, submissive to the trials which have made us so sad and rejoicing in the belief that all things, church, all things work together for good for those who trust him. For those who are called according to his purpose. Those aren't words. That's worship. Confidence in God's trustworthiness is the destination of all your laments. Listen, give me this and I'm in my seat. There's something else that we need to consider. Church, listen to me. Who was it of all the men who ever lived who descended into the depths of utter sorrow? Who was it of all men who ever lived who truly had the experience of being forsaken, truly forsaken by God? Who was it of all men who ever lived who went down to death with his foes rejoicing because they prevailed over him? You, you know who that is, right? Listen to me, church. I'm going to stretch you a bit. Hang with me. Psalm 13 is a psalm of the suffering Savior. Hang with me. Psalm 13 is a prayer of Jesus. In Psalm 13, we hear the voice of Jesus Christ speaking prophetically about his own suffering 
crucifixion and resurrection. He has plumbed the depths of human suffering. He has walked through, listen church, He has walked through your valley of the shadow. He has faced and fought your enemy, the devil. He has won that war for you. He was forsaken as he died on the cross. And because he was forsaken on behalf of you, his people, those who trust in him will never be forsaken. Therefore, as we pray Psalm 13, and I suggest you do this as a personal prayer, we do so on the basis of our union with Christ, who by the Spirit prophetically offered this prayer not only for himself, but as a mediatorial representative. Theologic word, I'll look it up. We can get with it, get, get with it later. I want to finish. Because he has heard, we have the assurance that our prayer of Psalm 13 will be heard when offered in his name. And because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has overcome the world, defeated death, atoned for sin, justified his people, we are in union with him in his death, resurrection and ascension into heaven despite our suffering in this fallen world. And I don't know about you, but that really affirms my faith in God. Church, you might remember this, you might have heard it on TV, but I remember hearing Dr. Martin Luther King's speech at Montgomery, Alabama in 1965. I was in high school. <laughs> When asking the question, how long, in the, in the face of racial injustice, Martin Luther King laments, how long? Not long. Because no lie can ever, can live forever. How long? Not long. Because you still reap what you sow. How long? Not long. Because the arm of the moral universe is long but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Listen, church, if his truth is still marching on, as you ask the question, how long? Let me tell you this morning, how long? New breed, not long at all. Because the same God who started a work in you has promised he'll finish it. How long? Not long at all. Because I consider these, precious, these present sufferings not even worth comparing to the weight of glory that will be revealed in us. How long? Not long. Because justice will roll down like waters. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. How long? Not long. Not long at all. Because even though I see death reign on earth today, I know that my Redeemer lives. And He will stand upon this earth forever. How long? Not long, my brothers and sisters. Look to Christ and you have your answer. Look to Him suffering on the cross for you. Look to Him going into the grave for you. Look to Him trampling on the serpent's head for you. Look to Him rising from the dead for you. And you'll hear the answer, church. How long? Not long at all. Maranatha Church, come Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the gift of lament. We thank you, Father, that lament leads us to healing, that lament increases our trust in you. Our lament shows us how loving our God is toward us. 
Father, help us to learn from your word. And Father God, I pray that you would take these words and the words, Father, that are not of you, that are not truth, that will not benefit your children. Father God, I pray you will erase from their minds and hearts. But God, these words that are true, that's, that are from you, Father, that may they be multiplied by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And may we, Father, truly learn to lament, not only individually toward you, but as your body as we grow. For Jesus' sake, amen.